There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Network Rail podcast. <laughs> Brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK. Uh, the home of, well, what was the US Open and what was the Labour Cup in the UK. Um, it is not the Network Rail podcast. Sorry, David, that I've just lost as, at least half of our, view, uh, our viewers, listeners. Get back into podcast mode, Catherine. Um, we are, though, at Waterloo Station, yeah. and uh, I, I felt like I should um, introduce people early on to the fact that there are going to be sound effects, non-tennis-related sound effects, to this podcast, one of which is the sound of... A gaggle of pigeons absolutely savaging a leftover pastry. David is taking a selfie of himself. He looks genuinely concerned. I mean, they are laying into this. Goodness me. Okay. Uh, So sounds that you will hear during this podcast include uh, train announcements, coffee being ground, pigeons... Um, eating things. Yes. Yeah, is that about it? That, that pretty much covers it. Um, yeah. And you'll also hear the sound of us talking about tennis. Yeah, we'll do that too. I'm Catherine Whitaker. This is David Law. Um, and uh, yeah, this is the tennis podcast, to be clear. The tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph has been at the Labour Cup in Chicago this week. And don't worry, we will be talking about that um, in due course on this week's podcast. Um, what would you like to start with first, though, David? Uh, for second week in a row, I want to start with Naomi Osaka, um, who uh, reached the final in Tokyo, and I thought was just so impressive to back up what she'd done at the US Open with all the rigmarole that had gone with it, and then she still manages to come out, and she went straight sets all the way to the final. Eventually ran into Karolina Pliskova, who served more than 80% first serves in. Almost unplayable, that, To win the it? title. 6-4, six, 6-4. Four, six, four. Nice to see Pliskova playing well again, because she's looked miserable. And actually, I... I, I Don't hold back, David. I really enjoyed... Um, an interview that the WTA did with her in which she said she said I've, the key for me is I've, she recently ditched half her coaching team and her dad was with her she's been helped by Rene Stubbs now as well isn't she and what, Conchita Martinez has that continued no that was just at ah. Wimbledon but what, what she, I think or at the no, US, no, Open, US Open, US Open. Yeah. but what she said Pliskova was I need a really positive team around me because I'm negative and, and, and a negative person like me can't have a negative team around. Oh, that's uh, why I record a podcast with you, David. <laughs> <laughs> Which I very much I? understand that. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah somebody who's up for it and chatting away to pigeons in Waterloo um, yeah it, I just found that really an interesting insight into her psyche and her, I like her honesty she doesn't if you ask Karenina Pliskova a straight question she gives you a straight answer but Asaka um she came out and she thrashed Dominika Sibulkova in her first match in Tokyo, bear in mind. You know, imagine all the, the eyes on her. And I, I immediately said, look, often you see players have a slump. We remember Sloane Stephens last year having her eight-match losing streak. We've seen Garbini Magarutha struggle with that kind of thing in the past. Um, and, and yet, some people pointed out it's one match. What are you getting fussed about one match for? 10 out of the 14 current or uh, first-time Grand Slam holders won their next match, apparently, I was told. But the, she went on reached the final. OK, she lost to Karolina Pliskova. But I, I like the fact that she, she did what she did. And she continued her ruthlessness in the US Open, didn't... That was diff- that's what was different for me about... Naomi Osaka at the US Open, her utter ruthlessness and dominating of players, yeah. no wobbles, just complete conviction in herself. Um, and as you say, she didn't drop a set on route to the final. She, she, yeah, she just, whatever zone she was in, she was still in it. And I think that e- even withstanding the, the defeat to Pliskova in the final, because 80% of first serves from Pliskova, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what anybody does about that really. Not, um, not much. And, and so, it's, yeah, I mean, Sarkar played really well in the final. Blueprint for, for, for Pliskova now to go onwards, although Osaka has subsequently pulled straight out of Wuhan. Yeah, with a viral illness. I mean, she may have a viral illness, I don't know, but I d- does it do anyone any... Fa- Look, I think it's absolutely fine for her to pull out of Wuhan. A shame for Wuhan, which is a, a tournament that I all... I think I said this previously on the podcast, that I always have a bit of a... A sort of sentimental soft spot for and I, I always wish them well and I, I I I really suffer their play withdrawals with them because the tournament was set up for Lina. Wuhan yes. is Lina's hometown. I mean they're pretty open about the fact that it was you know, she became Grand Slam champion and they decided let's bring a tournament to her hometown and I think she retired two weeks before the inaugural event. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts. Yeah, and look, she still supports it. She turns up there every year. She is very supportive of it. But look, it's 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 a blow that still lingers for that tournament. Um, so yeah, I was sad for them that Osaka withdrew. As much as I find it very understandable, had it not been her home tournament in Tokyo, I wouldn't have perhaps been that surprised if she'd taken a bit more time after the US Open and not played there. But. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked. It's been a bit of a theme on the podcast this year, hasn't it? About just how relentless the calendar is. You've got no time to appreciate your victories. Simona Halep said that at Wimbledon, didn't she? It just came too quickly. I had no time to enjoy. And, the and actually, um, I got into a chat with Sven Grunewald, former coach of Maria Sharapova, about about this, and he was he was lamenting the fact that people like me in the media, and he wasn't having a go, but he was lamenting the fact that we we always talk about big name players having suffered defeats as opposed to the players that have beaten them and the fact that we don't talk as much about the good aspects of multiple Grand Slam champions as opposed to players that have won multiple Grand Slam titles and I I defended it because a story is a story and a story is based on the person you're talking about and what they've done and and all the rest of it Uh, and, and, and I did say though but do you think that 
Osaka and Zverev, for instance, are going to do what Serena Williams and Roger Federer have done? Uh, and, and he said, no, I don't, but because of the schedule. And, and I, he was quite quite specific. I mean, who knows whether they're actually as good as those players anyway. But he, he felt that with this current schedule, and obviously these players have to play a certain amount of tournaments in order to, to count towards rankings or you get fines and all the rest of it, the, the, the tours are trying to support their their main events which I understand but they do it by trying to oblige players to play a lot that's the problem that's very interesting yeah Um, oh goodness me a pigeon has just swooped within about an inch of David's head I actually felt that (laughs) (laughs) this is hazardous Help, help us to pigeon-proof uh, this station is, uh, is a sign that is on our table. I don't think that's a battle they're winning. No. Um, this is where it's not good being <laughs> six foot seven because I yeah. do look like a statue that one could land on. Yeah, even sat down. Uh, yeah. David is taller than most people stood up. Um, staying in the Far East, David, um, we have had Andy Murray announcing, he's not played in the Far East yet, but he will be playing in Shenzhen this week um, he has announced that he will be shutting down his season after Beijing so he'll play Shenzhen and Beijing and then he will end his season in order to quote focus on some intense reconditioning and training blocks in the next next couple of months with a view to being in the best possible shape for Australia in January everyone seems to be pretty united in this being a a wise decision. I mean, he's not going to be seeded for any of these events. So if he, if he did slog his way through more events in the Far East and then went to Paris and maybe Basel or Vienna or something like that, there's every chance he'd be drawing Federer in round one and losing. And you know, okay, that's only one match, but we know that what goes into going to an event and getting yourself ready for it is a lot more than one match. So to take himself out of that equation and do what he calls reconditioning yeah seems like maybe a good idea yeah it's a, a few people did say to me well wouldn't it be better to just try to build up that match toughness and all the rest of it i mean judgment call isn't it really um my instinct is it's the right thing to do i, I think that's partly built on a conversation I, I remember having with nigel sears his father-in-law back in may i think or maybe even earlier than that I think maybe even March when Andy was really suffering with the with the injury and obviously not able to play at that time and and he said that he, he did feel that, that there's a there's a strong argument for just shutting down this year completely and saying let's try and come out for 2019 firing you know this was just in conversation and and at that point if somebody had said to me that Andy Murray would have come back played Queens played the US Open won those matches in Washington blimey I'd have said that's a good set of results from where from where he is so I feel that this is probably the right decision best of both worlds he's had some matches he's got an idea of where he is and what he still needs to do other setbacks not permitting and um, yeah let's let's see if he can put in a proper training block he's what got three months three yeah. months worth of time and, and in in reading too much into Andy Murray's statement news I find it um, interesting and heartening that he uses the word reconditioning um, in his statement rather than rehab rehabilitation yeah. it's about conditioning and getting himself fit enough um, like this could be I could be reading between lines where there is nothing but if he had said rehabilitation still I get the impression the hip is as good as it's going to be we yeah. still don't know how good that is relative to you know peak Andy Murray hip um, but it's all about 
you know, match fitness now he looked rather very than getting a bit better. In his Facebook video, he, he looked he looked up for it. He looked excited, really, about the the process to come. So, well, good luck to him. Um, David, you're at risk of uh, missing the 14.05 to Windsor and Eaton Riverside. That is what the latest announcement has told us. (laughs) I needed that one. (laughs) The 14.15 to Hazelmere, though, is still still possible. Okay, I've got Basingstoke on my... Portsmouth Harbour, what do you fancy? Guildford, no. Hounslow, I don't recommend Hounslow. Let's just do the podcast. Um, Mohamed Leani, David. Yes. Uh, suspended by the ATP because, quote, he compromised his own impartiality as a chair umpire during the US Open incident with Nick Kyrgios as they he'll miss Beijing and Shanghai. And I think this is pretty much the sort of action sanction that you were calling for at the time of the incident, um, which, uh, yeah. Th- I'm, I'm fine with this as a sanction. As I say, well, as I said at the time, I still have question marks over whether there will be any lingering um, impact in the minds of the players. I hope there won't be. I hope that this can be um, the end of it and confidence can be restored. Um, but I certainly think it's the right thing to, yeah. for them to implement some kind of sanction. It's the right tone to it in that it, it, they've made it clear that they've taken it seriously. They, the ATP have gone beyond what the USTA did and have said, look, our view on our official is that he didn't do his job right in this in, in, instance. And we are going to punish that fact. Two tournament suspension, no pay, which does feel harsh. But I also get the point of doing it. It's a clear message sent out, not only to Mohamed Lani, but to all officials. This is the standard we expect. It also tells players we're watching this stuff closely. Mohamed Lani is not going to get in trouble like this again, I don't think, because he's a, he's a good umpire, first and foremost. This is a bit of a reality check for everybody, though, of just where the line is a little. And incidentally, we should just go forward, I think, and just um, link this to the Serena Williams situation once more because she has been in an interview with Lisa Wilkinson of Channel 10 in Australia. She was doing the interview to promote breast cancer awareness but clearly she wanted to ask about the US Open incident as part of this interview and it was interrupted by a publicist um, after three questions of this interview. Um, And the interesting thing to me is not the interruption which... You know, that sort of stuff happens. It was more the, the, the quotes from Serena Will- Williams about Patrick Moratoglu's coaching. Um, she was asked, Serena, in the interview, your coach admitted that he was coaching from the sidelines. In retrospect, do you think that that makes the violation warranted? And Serena said, I just don't understand what he was talking about, meaning Moratoglu, because we don't have signals. We've never had signals. And he said he made a motion. He was. The, she was then asked. So you you had to have a fairly tough conversation with him afterwards, and Serena said yes because we've never had this before. I was like, it's okay, but don't like, you know. So she's not happy with Patrick Moratoglu for, been- for the for the for the signals, and she's not happy with him for admitting that he that he did it either. The nuances of their relationship are amazing. Like the, 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 I can't even begin to fathom them, really. But it's, this is nothing new, her being unhappy with Patrick. I mean, she said it um, in that interview. Was it with Vogue? Or I think it was with another glossy magazine pre-US Open where she said how unhappy she was with him advising her to stop breastfeeding. She said that was... Oh, she yeah. didn't enjoy taking that from a, from a bloke, you know. She, you know... 
she's quite happy to express her <laughs> displeasure with Patrick's behaviour in Maybe public. that's why it works. You know, he, yeah. he basically says whatever he wants whenever he feels like I mean, it. He's, and then she slags him exactly, off. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, he was... The day after the whole incident, he was commentating for, for Eurosport on the men's final. You know, he was taking selfies. He was absolutely fine. We were all worried that he was going to get the sack and, oh, to be a fly on the wall in during their post-match debrief. I reckon she probably said... Patrick, you prat. <laughs> he said, "All right, I won't do that again." And on they moved. Yeah. Well, it, um, it, it, but it, it's it's fascinating. It, I, I I like how well, candid he, he is in many ways. I mean, that, just before we move on, that wasn't necessarily the most interesting thing about that. You breezed, you breezed past the interruption of the publicist. Now, yeah, we know that happens all the time, but yeah. I do think it's important and interesting that they published that and they made that public because I I think it's important. To know, I think it's important for the public to know that the constraints that are so very often put on the access that we get to, yes. to top players, you know, as, as journalists and broadcasters, yeah. you know, often it's a reflection on us that we don't ask the hard-hitting questions or that we don't go down a particular avenue. But just to be given, you know, a fleeting moment of these big players' names, celebrities' time you often have to consent to so many restrictions yeah. on that time and look, that you're unable to. And yet know, it, all, you, all the public sees is the, the end product. They'd Catherine, I, I'm the media director at Queen's. I, I have granted many an interview with people um, on the understanding that they mention the fact that this player is going to play the Fever Tree Championships at the Queen's Club. That's, you know, that's become how it works, right? Uh, now, aside from that, that's as far as I go. I, I don't. I never say, "Oh, you, and you can't talk about X, Y, and Z," because I just I, I hate that sort of thing as a journalist myself. And I also think I don't think that really does anybody any favors. I think I'd much rather a player handles that situation themselves. And if they don't want to talk about something, they either don't, or they sketch around it, or they just point blank say, "Don't want to well, talk about that." Well, that's the other thing. She she looked over at her publicist. She sought the intervention. She, there was a, and the question that she was asked at the, the point at which she sought the intervention was, um, it was, do you regret your behaviour um, in the moment on the court? And there was a long pause, and she very definitely looked over and said, can you, you know, her eyes were saying, can you save me from this, please? And I just, I found it very disappointing because regardless of the point she was making about women and everything and I think we've you know we've covered our feelings on that and the 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 array of views I think we can all agree she behaved really Mm. badly even if you think she had a really strong point Mm. um, and she was in the right she still dealt with it appallingly she still behaved badly on the court and I, I think she can not to diminish her point in fact she can probably strengthen the point if she still wishes to persist with that point by just saying look I didn't deal with it very well I was in the heat of the moment I shouldn't have behaved like that there were you know there are certain actions I wish I could take back but hey I'm a full-blooded competitor and I I'm not always fully in control of my actions in the moment but for her to just sort of back out of even giving a fudged answer to the question by seeking intervention I found disappointing yeah yeah and also her 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 answer to the the patrick thing sort of willfully missed the point you don't have to have agreed signal i mean i could interpret what patrick was saying you don't have to have an agreed system of signals for you know and it doesn't matter if you've agreed something in advance your coach's behavior is a reflection on you and she's definitely been made aware of that rule before now that's a deflection if if 
if that is her view, though, generally, what she's basically saying is he blew it. Um, <laughs> and fair enough, you know? I mean, it also points to the the kind of desperation of the moment and yeah. how badly she was getting beaten. Exactly. Look, I can understand that. I can understand people behaving in a regrettable way, which they then hold their hands up to and regret. Mm. Um, I just wish she had done that because there was a really big opportunity for her to do it um, and she didn't. It's a shame. Yeah. But hey, breast cancer awareness, great. At least that, well, that is good to promote yeah. obviously so well done to her for that absolutely um, uh, staying in the far east david i know you moved us on to australia briefly there yeah i did um, uh, actually we're going to should we go no, to no some no, p- no, no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm running this show. i'm driving this train david. got an agenda Catherine's going off piece i'm i've decided to take it geographically go for it Remaining in the Far East, Kiki Burton's has won a third title of the season in Seoul. She defeated Ayla Tomljanovic in the final. Quite a big result for Tomljanovic, that. Yeah. She's had a tough old time. Um, Kiang Wang in Guangzhou defeated Yulia Putintseva. Well, there's another the one. There. Wang is another one who's quietly built a really good year. I think she's in the top 40 in the world yeah. now. Coached by Peter McNamara. Yes. I always say that because that's my... I, I, I will work on this, but I don't have that many Kiang Wang facts, and that Yet. is my main one. Yeah, same here. And we know Peter a little bit. Um, and now we're moving geographically westwards okay. now, David. Just T- to take me where we're going. <laughs> I'm not very good with directions. Shall we head to Russia? Go for it. Uh, What's going on Mikhail in Russia? Where Mikhail has retired in St. Petersburg. He has. He's retired, David, on 499 match wins. I mean, I that... can't bear it. That is a comeback he that must, has to happen. He must really have wanted to retire. He must really have had enough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Wouldn't you, to like... Not, to <laughs> you could basically go the full 12 months of the calendar next year and just keep watching the tournaments, right? And look at the entry lists... And then when you see the right one and the right surface, and you just put your hand up and ask for a quick wild card and say, look, all I want to try to do is do that. get to 500 wins. Basically wanted to retire at home in Russia. Great, you know, I'm glad he got to do that. He deserved, you know, a great send-off. He lost in the second round to, to Batista Agut. So he got himself up to, he was on 498 before last week. Um, you know, it's right that he should retire with you know the the appropriate send-off which of course you'd get in russia but come on mikhail what if he won two and he ended up with 501 that's really unsatisfactory no no i I think that's fine it's jarring yeah i'd sleep easier at night on 501 (laughs) i just don't know how he's ever going to sleep again um right oh well can we pay tribute to mikhail yushni yes Uh, when when, when did you first hear of mikhail yushni Oh, oh my gosh! I mean, he's been a he's been a thing for as long as I've been into tennis. Do you, do you know? I, I I think one of the first times I ever remember hearing of him was in two thousand and one. He came to Queens and he beat a similarly young Andy Roddick in the first round. Um, and you know how in tennis and in sport generally you try to think you try to latch on to something with every player he, he's going to be the new so-and-so or whatever it reminds me of so-and-so or reminds me of his backhands like Federer's or whatever it might be well with Mikhail Yuzhny back then it was doesn't he look like Michael Owen <laughs> everybody and of course Michael Owen was big news back then because he, he was England's main <laughs> striker and he and he just scored the goals that had won the UEFA Cup and it was called the UEFA Cup back then for Liverpool um, and, and everybody was saying the Calavez pl- in the final the, the, the Russian tennis player that looks like 
Michael Owen is, is how everybody was trying to bill it. And when you actually then put them side by side, they kind of look nothing like each other. They've got the same fuzzy hair. Same hair. Yeah, same hair. <laughs> yeah. And then over the years, obviously, <laughs> Mikhail Yuzhny managed to get himself 499 match wins, two US Open semi-finals, 10 ATB titles, 31 wins against top 10 opponents, and finished inside the top 50 13 consecutive years. Um, and he also smashed himself and over yeah, the head with the a racket. Yeah, the most impressive self-flagellation ever yeah. on a tennis court. How many views has that had, I wonder? We need to find that out. And he got himself a philosophy degree along the way. That's yeah, pretty good going. Might even have been a master's, actually. Certainly a degree. So well done, Mikhail Eugeny. Yeah, um, great career. Staying in St. Petersburg, Dominic Team won the title. Um, defeated Klijan. It's his first hardcourt title since February 2016. Signs, David. Obviously, the biggest sign was what he did at the US Open, but backing that up yes. on the hard courts, thank goodness. Well, I mean, I'd love to know why he didn't... I assume he could have been picked for Labour Cup, and he, he's obviously opted for St. Petersburg, which, which is yeah. interesting. We'll, we'll go on to yeah, Labour Cup Yeah, I mean, there's a few that that could probably apply to, and I'd love to know if offers were made and were refused. We'll never know, but we can but speculate. Um, uh, anything else happened in Russia this week, David, before I move on to France? No, I don't know any more no. about Russia. Um, so moving on to Metz, Gilles Simon defeated Matthias Backinger. Yes, he did. Well Metz done, Gilles. one of those... It's just a bitty time of year, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah it's I'm pleased for Gilles Simon there because, a, you know, not, not, not a lot's happened with his career the last year or two. Well, speaking of that, there was a challenger happening in... Uh, somewhere in China where Gasquet and Monfils were playing one another um, and Monfils ended up winning the challenger I think uh-huh. winning the whole shebang I think they played oh no it's Gulbis oh Gulbis and Gulbis Monfils, and Monfils yeah. yeah Gulbis and Monfils in a challenger in China with about four people watching and they both Grand Slam semi-finalists yeah. wow <laughs> yeah that was a good ticket to have ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, David, I've covered the bitty, the bitty bits. Yes. Should we do Labour Cup? Let's do Labour Cup. First of all, it was won by Team Europe, 13 points to 8, and they didn't end up playing the final match, although it was, well, it was very close all the way through, and, and probably I think a lot of people would say closer than they would have expected it, given when you looked at the lineups on paper of Team Europe with Federer, Djokovic, Zverev, um, who else did they have, Goffin, they're Jeremy Shardy, David. Jeremy Shardy, who was the alternate, didn't get a look in, um, but did some just, good... Just pleased to be there. ...bench support. Um, pleased to get himself a free jacket. <laughs> up against uh, uh, Nick Kyrgios, John Isner, um, Francis Tiafo. Nicholas Jarry, um, also pleased to get a free jacket. <laughs> Jack Sock, uh, Captain John McEnroe. Jack Sock winning three doubles matches. I mean, what a doubles player that guy is, uh, first of all. Um, so... Yeah, that, that, that was the score. Europe winning it for the second year in a row. Um, incredible turnout of people in Chicago. 93,000 people 93, over three days. Yeah. Um, so you're talking 16,000 on a Friday afternoon. Like the O2, double sessions each day. 18 and 19,000 each session over the weekend, which is an incredible turnout. Slickest production you could imagine i mean it was like watching the oscars in terms of its slickness um, that is not the um analogy used with me on whatsapp david come on what did i use miss world <laughs> <laughs> yes there was that one bit made where... me laugh out loud david it deserved an airing well only, tennis only... is miss world <laughs> only because it was just it was just everything's great you know as <laughs> yeah. as these ten, these things tend to be. It was glossy. Yeah. It was glossy, but I mean, also it was, it was immaculately produced. Um, there's no question, and that's including the TV coverage and the sort of. I thought the thinking about it, the the way that they staged it, gener- generally, I, I thought it was it was good that they didn't have one of what was clearly that set piece conversation behind the scenes with Federer, Borg, and. Um, uh, and Nadal that they had last year which which was excruciating really I, I get why they did it but it was excruciating they didn't do any of that it was much more and what was quite interesting was watching it I, I watched it on, on Amazon Prime where you don't have the adverts um, you could have watched it on Sky in the UK where you do I saw it on Prime and therefore you got to hear these conversations at the sit-downs the most interesting bits of the lot of the whole tie were hearing Federer talking to Zverev about tactics and things like that and really going deep into them um, and just seeing those interactions which we've never seen before we've never heard those sort of conversations before found it fascinating some of the matches some of the tennis was 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 really spellbinding and, and, there, and there were a couple of matches I saw uh, doubles with Zverev and Federer against um Isner and Sock and there was also the Zverev against Isner singles match that I saw a couple of the matches were were overnight our time and I didn't get to see them but they were I mean I was really on the edge of my seat for a couple of those 
Um, were you on the edge of your seat because you were really supporting Team Europe no, and really into it from all. a partisan kind not of right? Not at okay. And, and 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 you know, look, I've said all the things, and there are many that I think that there are are commendable about this and exciting about this this operation. Richard Evans, a colleague of ours, said it's he felt it was the the, the best standing start production of a new event that he can remember and I, and I would actually agree with that in many ways I've, maybe the O2 is, is, is certainly another one if you but that has got the history of a year end event behind it for many years I do think considering that they've started this out of absolutely nothing it is amazing what they've done um, but there are some some problems with it from my standpoint um, for its future and I suppose what I'm getting at is where where does it want to be in the calendar? Where does it want to be in the packing order? What does it see itself as? Because it was trying to bill itself as, and we were trying to be, we were being told it was the Ryder Cup of tennis. Um, we, we discussed this, of course, a year ago. Now the Ryder Cup is about to take place in a few days' time when we we talk about it. Mass media coverage, everybody interested in it. That's not the Labour Cup right now you know our colleague Simon Briggs went over to interview Roger Federer um, for the Telegraph ahead of the event he didn't stay for the actual tennis he you know he didn't cover the matches one at a time he did a piece about it and about where it stands and and spoke to people like Federer about the Davis Cup and and all those sort of things but as an event and who wins etc it hasn't got huge amounts of coverage because there is still this debate about well is it an exhibition is it a is it a serious event well what is it now no question in my mind at least that it was incredibly competitively fought it was exciting the players were all into it um and it was fun to see their interaction and to see them that invested in a team competition like this but if you're telling me that that is the Ryder cup of of the sport well i'm it's not it's, it might be one day maybe in 20 years time maybe in 10 years time I don't know maybe everybody will care about the results and I don't just mean the players I, I get that the players can invest themselves in, in a red jersey I'm playing for reds you're playing for blues um, and we want to beat them I get all that because in the moment it is exciting and you, you know you feel that we saw it with Nadana Federer last year but I don't think anybody leaves that arena thinking oh thank goodness Europe won or thank goodness World won or I desperately want World to win it next year I, I don't know how you build that but it doesn't have that impact on me yeah I mean the, oh, there's so much <laughs> there's so much to get your teeth into there I mean I, I share all your thoughts my, my conclusion on it was I, I don't love it I'm not in love with it, an event, but I don't think it's for me. Um, speaking to a few colleagues from the tennis world who work to varying degrees in the tennis world about it, um, Sarah Woolen, in fact, a colleague of ours, um, who quite often has a slightly different perspective, she sort of dips in and out of tennis and worked on the Champions Tour with us, so, you know, has a good deal of experience of exhibition tennis and we'll come on to the de- definition of exhibition tennis in a minute because there's a lot of uh, chat around the fact that the exhibition seems to become a dirty word when I don't think it should but I think we perhaps need to restore the reputation of the word exhibition um, but she said look it's it's 
it's not for the nerdy tennis fan or you know the the people that work in tennis week in week out it's for the really casual tennis fan it's for the people that just watch Wimbledon in the UK that stumble upon it on Sky and think oh what's this you know glossy um, eye catching thing that the crowd seem to be desperately into um, and I get that you know she said she said imagine that you're somebody that watches tennis a week or two a year and you stumble across that on your telly or on Amazon Prime you'd probably stick with it for at least a few minutes and maybe those few minutes would be enough to grab you and make you think hey tennis is a great thing certainly everybody in the United Centre in Chicago seemed to be absolutely loving it and I I don't want to be sniffy about 94,000 people over a weekend in the stadium and goodness knows how many on the TV loving tennis and I suspect a lot of those were people who previously were varying degrees of indifferent about tennis I'm fine with that I, I think there's a place for it in the tennis world and I support that place I personally didn't I, I thought a lot of the tennis was high quality and I was trying to focus on just enjoying the tennis but a lot of the other elements of it distracted from that enough to, to take my enjoyment away I I found I found it overproduced and over slick and you know like they were trying to ram something ram the meaning of it down my throat and maybe it's sort of the the cynical British contrarian in me that instantly when someone's trying to impose something upon me I instantly sort of back off from it and go oh hang on a minute um, you know the I found the the constant cutaways like after every point to to the to the team celebrating you know Jack Sock thumping his chest after a run-of-the-mill Kevin Anderson ace. I found that tough to tough to take. Um, I, I agree with you. That I, I, not all of that I didn't. I loved hearing Roger Federer doing coaching. I loved that. The other players doing coaching, uh, you know, they, oh, I, they seem to talk largely in slogans and sort of, enjoyed... you know, come on, man. But Federer doing coaching, fascinating. Well, and Kyle Edmund coaching Roger Federer was also <laughs> yeah. a highlight. Kyle Edmund, incidentally, absolute re- revelation. I don't know what's happened to him, or he seems to have been possessed by some sort of other being. Because Mike, I've interviewed Kyle Edmund a lot, and that was a different guy. He's been labour cupped. That was a different guy. And, uh, you know, the... the, the the sort of transformation that took place in Kyle Edmund over the course of that weekend, if that sort of, st- that the nugget of that stays in him somewhere, think little things like that could be the making of the Labour Cup. The fact that it can have a transformative effect on a player. You know, what it did to Jack Sock at the end of last year, OK, is that doesn't seem to have lasted in any way in his singles form, which detracts from it slightly. But those sorts of things give it legitimacy, I think, or could give it legitimacy over the long term. So as much as I found it hilarious seeing... Kyle Edmund beating his chest and and and, and all of that. I particularly um, liked it when he stomped into the dressing room after a Federer's one uh, and basically I body honestly, checked I about four people. Incre- some sort of incredible Hulk. T- I thought we'd been bitten <laughs> by a spider, uh, Spider-Man style. It was amazing. So look, I I'm reluctant to be um, too cynical about it because I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's for the nerdy, cynical British tennis fan. I yeah, but I am, I'm supportive of it without particularly personally enjoying it, if that makes sense. I, and I don't also want to question how much of my lack of enjoyment of it, not lack of, I mean, I've watched quite a lot of it, 
was from the fact that we were watching we were watching a world feed of it and there's no doubt it's very obviously and they have every right to do this it's very obviously a corporate product isn't it the world feed no one's ever gonna say anything bad about the labor cup on that production that we're watching and i i actually i saw on twitter that tennis channel had their own studio and their own team out there they were covering it independently and I actually tried to seek out a tennis channel, an illegal tennis channel stream in the UK, to see if watching a more independent production of it made me feel differently about it. Because I was so aware that I was watching a slick corporate product, I found that quite difficult. Um, and again, that as might good be, as it was, as good as good and as slick. And, and I think they, look, they're all brilliant. Elements of it are, you know, look, the camera angles are sensational. I'll, Undoubtedly, you know, there was a shot from sort of seemed like there was a camera on the roof um, when uh, Djokovic, I think, lobbed Kevin Anderson, and there was a shot of it from. The, and I just thought that was brilliant. I, I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Yes, I could do with a lot fewer shots of Jack Sock thumping his chest, but if, the, equally, there were lots of things that I loved about the production. But I was very aware that I was watching a corporate product, and I um, don't necessarily. <laughs> enjoy that hugely as good as the corporate product is so mm. yeah that's not something that's necessarily fixed in stone maybe well, what about the scoring more... system because um what one of the appeals and yet issues with the the events and the format for me is the fact that it's it's weighted with one point for a match win on a friday two points for a match win on Saturday and three points for a match win on Sunday. It's weighted as such in order to keep it relevant and and uh, dramatic uh, as long as possible and so that you could have a wipeout on day one before zero down, then have two good match wins on, on Saturday and that lead is, is wiped out. Now, and, and, and it also means that, let's say, if you just lost everything on the first two days, you could still make a comeback on the final day. Um... A lot of people on social media are running oh, a poll about this, uh, Catherine. Uh, I, I, I wanted to know what, what people thought. And uh, stop trying to interrupt me. Well, um, I, I want to give the results to this poll. Do you want to know what I think? No, I want to give the results. I want to know what you think. I don't, I don't want to know 55% what of people liked people it. Think. 55% of people liked it out of yeah, 1,284. Yeah, but it's, it's not a question of like, I mean, it's more nuanced than that, David. Oh, okay. What do you think? I think it solves a problem which needs to be solved, but it creates other problems. I mean, it it is completely contrived, um, and it definitely um, lends itself. It, it, uh, it's a point in the column of this is an exhibition because it is completely contrived, and it it does allow you to hide your weakest players. Um, but equally, it beats dead robbers, doesn't it? You know, look what happened in the recent Davis Cup semi final with France and is it France and Spain, yeah. You know, those two absolutely meaningless dead robbers that were played on the final day uh, and the fact that you ended up calling the tie 3-2 to France when we know it was 3-0. Um, so that is a problem with the Davis Cup as it currently stands. Big problem, and I'm all up for solving that problem, and, and it does solve that problem. But uh, is it the right... I don't have an alternative to solving that problem but I also don't feel 100% comfortable with with the points yeah. accumulation system well, thing. I, I, I'm the same boat because I enjoyed Sunday. I enjoyed the fact that it was still live, all of these sort of things. But 
that's the same way in some regards as I enjoy a good film that doesn't end with some really boring yeah. <laughs> crescendo and climax and um, you know I want to get my money's worth as a viewer but the best drama of all is when the sport produces a moment without being helped along by a scoring system quite like that I, I think and there also remains and look we, it's not changed from last year when we discussed it the issue, rest of world doesn't work not, uh, for me that's, that's not as a concept that I think the rest of the world can really get behind because I think when you saw the Jack Sock John Isner duo for North America up against Roger Federer and Alexander Zverev the place was just bouncing now it was it was enthusiastic and, and, and excitable throughout but you you saw this clear divide between the two and you know if I were uh, just a standard tennis fan as a European, I'd have been cheering for the Blues in that situation because that that makes sense to me. The same way as the Ryder Cup does. Europe against America. I get that. And you, you could do that if, you, if it was a mixed event. Men and women. Yeah. You could have it Europe against America. The problem you have is the Labour Cup and he's Australian. Yes. So you can't exclude Australia. So, again, I don't have the absolute solution. I would like to see, I'd love to see it be a mixed event. I think that would enhance it greatly. I think it would solve a number of the issues. Like, you could maybe have it, given that Europe is so dominant, particularly in the men's event, and it, it's broadly equal in, in women's tennis, um, you could maybe have Europe taking on a different territory every year. Have it be America one year, Australasia another year. Do you know what, though? It, uh, it does feel like you, you end up trying to crowbar a yeah, solution in. you are. Um, but and, and, and what they've done is probably created the very best product that they can with what they've got. Yes, um, but, but the partisan element is so crucial. Well, here, here's where I ultimately have the biggest problem with it, is tennis doesn't need its own answer to Ryder Cup tennis needs the right Davis Cup agreed and whatever solution is found for Davis Cup it, to my mind it needs to incorporate the very best of the Labour Cup and there are so many good things to it and it needs to find a way to produce itself in that way have all the w- world's eyes on it at the same time that's why I do like the idea of a year a, you know a, a single week or a 10 day event but it by, by making too big a fuss of Labour Cup and also World Team Cup or whatever it is, to me, you'd risk diluting the one that has the history, the one that has created moments that, that these events... I, I don't think you can just recreate them from scratch because they've come from the very soul of, of sports in the Davis Cup. There's a lot wrong with the Davis Cup, but there's something that has to be preserved there and that is the product the the format that I hope ultimately is the one that we all really get excited about in the future and the one that works because that should be tennis's Ryder Cup agreed I completely agree and and then we come back to the whole sort of debate over exhibition because I'm not sure anyone would ever call Davis Cup an exhibition nor should it be I'm fine with I, and I think the Davis, uh, I think the Labour Cup should be more comfortable with being an exhibition. The players can still really care about it, um, and we can all really care about its existence and get behind it 
perhaps not about the independent results, you know, covering the matches, Simon Briggs flying home before they start. I think that's all okay. I think there's a place for it as a really good exhibition event that people can watch and enjoy, mostly as entertainment where the quality of tennis is is high and thrilling and and it's important that the players care, but which is something different to the Davis Cup, which is not an exhibition, which is the Ryder Cup of tennis. Um, yeah. Well, it's, anyway. it's the team Grand Slam, really, yeah. isn't it? Uh, and at least that's what it should be, and it's been allowed to to be dismissed in many ways as part of the conversation because of, of the format being so unwieldy and sprawling. And, and that's its challenge, is how do you preserve all the best bits of Davis Cup that everybody loves so much and yet make it a package that everybody's eyes are on at the same well, time. Well, I can tell you a way that you don't do that, David, or I don't think you do that, and that is by introducing the Majesty Cup. Exclusive broken by Simon Briggs yeah, of the Telegraph. Yeah, big who exclusive was for Simon. Over there. What, what um, is the Majesty the Cup, The Majesty Catherine? Cup apparently is a 64-man winner-takes-all event with a prize pot of £7.5 supplied by Cosmos, which is the investment firm... Uh, that Gerard Piquet is involved in. So this is one of the sort of events by stealth that seemed, well, certainly from the outside, it might not be a case for those involved in the internal workings of that Cosmos deal, but from the outside it seems like these two extra events, there's also talk of a a mixed team event in sort of April time or something, isn't there, but have snuck in by stealth with the Davis Cup reform vote um, to be staged the week after the US Open, so potentially a rival to Labour Cup um, filling one of the gaps in the calendar um, that will appear next year because of uh, the Davis Cup reforms have you heard anybody that that thinks that this is a good idea David (laughs) anyone at all not really Um, and and the thing is that again it just highlights the divisions and the mess that the sport and its various governing bodies and factions are in here because in producing a wonderful solution to a standalone exciting event in the Labour Cup, um, Federer and team have, have just added really another another ingredient to this enormous potion of problems that, that we that we currently have. As, as wonderful as the event is, because this is this is not this is not going to work having this number of events and expecting us to take all of them seriously who would want to, unless you're you know one of the world's top five given the dominance of of the big four you know and maybe you can include a couple of others in that who's going to want to enter a win a 64 man winner take all event you know if you're 30 in the world i don't know if you're albert ramos vinalas i don't think he is 30 in the world, but just i've plucked him out of thin air are you going to want to enter that yeah, I mean, maybe they're going to do. I mean, I'm sure the success, of the, with all due respect, success of the event probably doesn't depend on Albert Ramos being last. No. But you know what I mean. Well, it's just you're just crying out for a for a, a kind of pathway for the sport that makes sense, um, and and it's got four Grand Slam tournaments. Okay, maybe maybe you might move one of them in dates a little bit or something like that but effectively you've got four hugely respected and successful events that matter enormously that are way more important than money could ever be um, on its own and that's what people remember about the sport same as the Davis Cup to a lesser degree because frankly it's it's been mishandled over the years in terms of what it is if you just keep throwing additional events in the way it's it's making 
the calendar worse. They've got to get together. And and actually, Roger Federer's interview with Simon Briggs had Roger Federer saying, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal and me, we need some time to talk about this. I want to hear what they've got to say about all these ideas, about the Majesty Cup, which he'd heard about, about the Davis Cup plans, which Federer was not prepared to commit to at this stage for next year. Um, he's got his own Labour Cup now. They have no intention of of moving that out of the way either but they need to get together for the good of the sport all of these people and and try and hammer this out because it's a mess as simple as that sorry i thought i just saw simon briggs there's a simon briggs lookalike just entering uh entering the (laughs) it's not simon briggs you're out your chair about to go and collar him do you not agree should, that man looks like Simon Briggs? Well, should we go and ask him to come on, see what he's got to say about this? He might this? be uh, waiting for the 1450 to Salisbury. Right, maybe he is. Um, last bit of any other business, David. Annabel Medina Garrigues. This staged an event where everybody on the court were women. Chair umpires, physios, ball kids, everyone. Isn't that great? Yeah, this is a woman who's who's done a lot. Aside from having an excellent career in her own right, she reached the last 16 of the Australian French Open. She was French Open doubles champion twice. You know, she's been around the block as a player and as a coach. And that is just... I've noticed this a few times with her on social media. Occasionally she'll just get involved in a, in a, in a discussion and just put it to bed immediately with, with a view that makes total sense. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I do love the fact that she's just thought, this is a statement, this is something I want to do with my tournament, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, and there's not enough. We had a brief uh, chat on WhatsApp this week about I was just I was just lamenting, as much as I sort of understand it with, with the money and the, the deals and everything, I was lamenting the fact that there are, there are very few players that really stick their neck on the line for, for causes in tennis. Um, you know, what... What made me realise it was um, Kevin Anderson's support of Nick McCarvel's um, event about the, the, the lack of out men in tennis, the lack of um, openly gay men in tennis, the event that he staged um, prior to the US Open in, in New York and how notable it was that Kevin Anderson lent his support to that on Twitter. I mean, everyone should have been supporting that, shouldn't yeah. they? I mean, that should be... That's, and, and, that's, he, and he went out of his way he to went do out it. Of his he way wasn't to asked that. to do it. He, he's not a gay man himself, and yet he Absolutely. felt, this is this is important to me. I, I care about this subject. I don't, I'm just going to tell people that. Absolutely, and I, there's, not, there's not a lot of that. There's really not a lot of it. People shy away, as much as it shouldn't be controversial to, to support gay rights in, in sport, it is... It, it, it obviously is seen as such because players do shy away from it and there's plenty of issues that that players shy away from so yeah i'm okay it's easier once you've retired which annabelle medina griegas has but she's still very much involved in the sport and um yeah more of that please more of that um and on that note david you can go and get the 1450 to woking but i don't need to go there (laughs) Which there's one to Reading there, stopping at uh, stopping at Winnersh. No, you're all right. And Winnersh Triangle. You can say that one. Um, nice neck of the woods, that. Right. None going to Solihull though, because you're down. You're down here for the week. Yeah, I'm here for BT Sport for the week uh, to commentate on Wuhan. Um, so uh, yeah. Go on, give your support to Wuhan. Early the, morning. The Lee event. <laughs> 
early morning uh, uh, alarm call. Johanna Conter's already out. She lost to Ash Barty today. Um, and not a surprising result, and no, because Barty just causes a nightmare. She doesn't like those. She doesn't like those matchups. So she's like no. a Suwei Shea. Remember her losing to Suwei Shea. But that Simon Briggs lookalike is like loitering nearby. He's heard us talking about him. Uh, we will endeavour to get you a picture of the Simon Briggs lookalike as proof for the podcast to go with the picture of David Law watching yeah, some pigeons. They don't know what Simon Briggs looks like. We need to do one of those halved photos. All right, okay. I'm going to go and do that before he disappears. David, you're going to go and catch the uh, 1457 to Strawberry Hill. And, uh, on my way. We will be back next week. Oh, not before I tell you that we are the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with Prime Video UK. Uh, and with our executive producers Melanie Bowes Triple S Tennisballs.com with La Manga Club uh, and with Charlie the Ferret so we really will be back next week A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.